into the moth light. Hello and welcome to Into the Mothlight, a podcast dedicated to artists' moving image, experimental film and festivals, and installation art. Teresa Steinlikova is an artist who explores themes of sensory aesthetics, embodied memory, and the boundaries between inside and outside using performance, food, and moving image. Her ongoing project, From You to Me, Four Generations of Women, explores the unique and complex interconnections between four generations of her own family. Teresa's collection of short experimental films, beginning in 2011, capture the unique moments of her grandmother, her mother, her daughter and herself reuniting between the Czech Republic and Britain over several years. Documentary-style dialogue is combined with staged family rituals, exploring the bonds between the women while also uncovering issues of hidden family histories. Earlier this year, Teresa brought From You To Me to Scotland and presented the work as an immersive three-channel installation. I met with her on the eve of the preview of the work and asked her about the origins of this particular project. Into the Moth Light one summer in 2011, when I was spending time in the summer house in the southern Bohemia with my mom and my grandmother and my daughter, and uh, there were no men, and I was suddenly struck by this very particular atmosphere in the house, um, and it felt almost like a quite an enchanted, strange space, and. Um, and then it suddenly struck me that actually it's also quite a quite privilege to be in the same space with four generations, especially because we're living in different countries. So this doesn't happen every day. So I've been and I've been meaning to actually to capture it for a while as well. But I, I think there was a resistance in me because it's also very very personal. So. I had to build up courage to to actually do it, but mm-hmm. that was the point. That was the point in 2011 when I actually decided to to do it, to confront it. <laughs> to confront it. Okay. What was the, the 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 pitch then to to the other three generations? What did you did you sit them down and say, I have an idea for a series of films that I would like to make, and and explain it to them from there. Actually, I um, I can't quite remember how it happened. I think it happened quite gently. So maybe I started with my grandmother first, because my grandmother is the least self-conscious one, and mm-hmm. and she feels very comfortable with it. So I, I think I started filming her, and actually I started filming this. Um, there was kind of brooding atmosphere in the house, also because it was still quite. Um, not so long since my grandfather died. Mm-hmm. So there was this sense of absence as well, that my grandmother was in her own space and, and there were tensions between my grandmother and my mom. So I, st- I felt like an observer in the beginning, sort of observing their relationship. And then I, of course, included myself and my daughter mm-hmm. later, I think. So it, yeah, it, it happened through stages. One of the things I was thinking about after seeing the work um, today was 
it's lovely to have that. It's almost a personal archive. It, it, sometimes people see when, when they're dealing with bereavement, they've, they've always got lots of photographs, but over time they forget what a person's voice sounds like. So was it quite important you to capture that as part of your work? Yes, absolutely. And it, that was actually the, the initial... That, was, that moment in 2011 was very much... Actually, it had this sort of very dark undertone because of my grandfather having passed away and and I had this sense of I suddenly became very conscious of the fact that my grandmother won't be around always so I wanted to so it was very much about a moment about somehow capturing the moment the presence which is something I'm interested in my work as well and actually uh, the theme that kept coming back to me was um, Virginia Woolf's um, The Waves, because I love that book. And uh, I just love the way she captures uh, the presence, the presence, mm-hmm. the moment, mm-hmm. the kind of aliveness of a moment. And so, uh, yeah, for me, I, I remember describing it to someone as a almost like uh, already imagining myself in the future looking back. There's a beautiful piece in one of the films, and I think it's it's you and your daughter looking into a mirror with the camera behind you, and you're you're comparing faces, and you mentioned that your grandmother was perhaps the the least um, self-conscious, but usually teenagers are the last thing they want to do is have the photograph taken or appear in films. So, um, w- was that a difficult process for the two of you to kind of build up that trust and uh, for her to? Uh, allow you to include her in the work? My daughter has been part of my films since she was very small. So I've made some earlier films uh, where she was part of. So she somehow accepted the fact that uh, once a year she's going to be in my film. And of course, as she got older, she started to get much more annoyed by it. And so every time I said, let's film, she said, oh, God, again. So, but actually, with this particular moment in the mirror, she got she got really into it because she likes talking about who looks like who and who mm-hmm. what's what's mm-hmm. connection. So that, that I, I remember thinking she actually lost that sense of boredom. She was actually like suddenly in the moment, really into it. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I had a screening recently at the Czech Embassy in London of the films and. Uh, and she actually came there, as, and so I thought that was very brave of her mm-hmm. to sit there witnessing it with lots of other people looking at it. <laughs> Talking about sharing your work um, with lots of people looking at it, because it is a, the, the, the collection of films, it's all very personal and you're very present in, in the work. How do you feel about sharing it and being there um, to present the work and be part of a Q&A as part of that? Um, well, I, I love sharing the work, and I think I've mentioned it yesterday in the opening that uh, for me it's like a two, two-stage process. Um, so the first stage is the making of it, of the films, which itself is quite uh, personal and it has a sense of liberation of some, some working through some of these issues and and then the second uh, part of it is actually sharing it which is equally important mm-hmm. and it's almost uh, a w- that's how the work comes to life is through sharing it so I, and i've always had a really positive 
responses and I feel the more I open up myself and share the the more people are willing to share their own stories back mm-hmm. okay being in, involved in in the filming process and experiencing the family life and the connections and the relationships through the the lens of the camera so what, what did you learn about your family over the the, the time um, from being behind the camera um, so sometimes being behind the camera is both a, a way of hiding myself a little bit but it's also a, an opposite so it's a way of uh, uh, almost seeing more because it's a way of focusing my attention so and sometimes when I use the zoom lens and I'm, I'm filming sometimes I'm, I decide to film for a long sequence of a real close-up and it becomes almost like a psychological um, battle of how long can I d- keep looking, mm-hmm. say, at the face of my mother or my daughter. So there's something quite direct and confrontational and also uncomfortable because sometimes you can see the discomfort of them being filmed. I'm, I, I'm myself, I'm not very comfortable with it. So, But also by doing it, it somehow releases some sort of energy um, so I think I've learned I definitely can see that my grandmother and my daughter are more comfortable and I think myself and my mom are less comfortable mm-hmm. but as, the, as we as we've gone on over these years we are actually we all relaxed a bit more as well so that's also been part of the process in your introduction to the work, you talk about materialising memory, and obviously the, the the way that you've built that installation uh, with the six films on on three projectors, um, you have made a, a tangible, immersive experience. So, tell me about your approach um, to, to to building the installation with the films that you had decided to use on this project. Um, so, obviously, for as you said, the tactility. Um, is important in my in my work and uh, something I've been looking into in my PhD was uh, of is actually working with the screen as a way of materializing the medium which is normally considered intangible because it's projected light so I've been uh, so the use of the fabric has been um, for me a way of trying to trying to play with the tactility so people can actually touch the screens and the screens move but they also quite translucent mm-hmm. and almost transparent so there's some something about the idea of layering of memories so that each time you recollect a memory it's it's it becomes altered but it's also not completely conscious. It's partly a kind of intuitive way of working that somehow the fabric, it's like the fabric of memory somehow. It felt more appropriate than some kind of more solid material. And uh, and I suppose this three-dimensional aspect, so you can actually almost like an enter, entering the screen by passing through. Mm. And it, it was interesting to, to, to watch people watching the film and weaving in between 
you know, the, the, the translucent meshes that were being projected. One of the things I was interested in, and again goes back to the layers of memory, um, so there's maybe, what, five or six layers of translucent material, and um, the screen closest to the projector is very small, and the, the size of it increases as it travels towards the further end of the space. With that increasing distance, things become ever so slightly distorted and then finally it's projected uh, onto um, a black background where the people in the film are almost to scale. So was that happenstance or was that something you experimented with? Um, Some of it was planned, but some of it actually happened in the space as Mm -hmm. well. So because it's very difficult to imagine things in advance. So I had some sort of idea of using the screens, but I was quite sh- I didn't quite know how it would actually, how much it would increase in size. So, um, and then and then the way it fell on the black uh, wall at the end was actually um, something that just happened in the space, and then rather than covering it up, I wanted to leave it because there was something quite interesting which was so minimal such a small trace of the sharp image and i suppose yeah i think somehow all of that expresses something about memory and the way the sort of the way the present moment is so sharp and then it somehow fades and that we never know which one which of these moments will be the one that we will remember Mm -hmm. and 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 I, i suppose my way of Filming is also somehow trying to hold on to these moments, so they they become these illuminated moments uh, that Virginia Woolf talks about in the waves. Into the moth light. Into the moth light podcast. A lot of the, the pictures of the family that we see in the films is of the four generations um, round the table mm-hmm. and, and you know having discussions or, or, or talking about um, you know each other and you, you've recreated that to a degree in the space which I, I thought was a really enjoyable way to, 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 be, you know, to experience it and also most of the films are projected in a frame that could look like a frame of an oil painting and um, so again was that something that you were conscious of when you were deciding how to present this work? Uh, yes so that actually was something that I had really strongly in my mind from the beginning and that turned out exactly how I wanted it so that's very good that was like very precise idea and I think that's partly because uh, when I've been filming in the southern Bohemia there's this white table which is always there so so a lot of the films somehow happen around this table Mm -hmm. and the table of course uh, is is also about sharing food Uh, so it's a kind of which is the most basic ritual of sharing sharing food so I like that idea of um, having it in the exhibition as well. And of course, by having the table and, and these chairs, there's also a sense of um, like an up or like a presence of someone that just left. So I quite li- like that idea that it's like a table that's just been abandoned, mm-hmm. that you could almost imagine the four generations sitting there and they've left the room. And then the, the frame um, that was also 
that the intention of this painting, because uh, some of the films, um, because they, they are made for an installation, they're quite static, so it's basically a kind of frame where the, the action happens on a stage. So it lends itself well, I think, to, to something that's uh, like a painting, moving painting. Mm -hmm. But projected on uh, quite a sort of creased black fabric background as, as well, which is the, the polar opposite to the, the white that we, we would normally expect. And so that was something that wasn't quite planned because I originally I had an idea of using a um, white canvas with a texture to yeah, as a painting, but um, when we tried it in the space, it was nice, it worked, but it, it felt too overpowering and it took away from the rest of the installation. And actually there's something about projecting onto the black, which made it much more mysterious yeah. and it felt like um, it just created a different sense of presence of the image, which I preferred. One of the most powerful films that I've found, and I, I think many people that, that, that came to the opening talked about um, water rituals. Now, obviously, this isn't any substitute for people experience it from them for themselves. But tell me a little bit about some of the themes and, and ideas that you explore in that particular work. Um, so the theme of uh, water is something that's been haunting me for a for many many years and I've realized actually when I look back at my work there's there's a lot of water in it but I've never really consciously questioned it it was more of a kind of unconscious um, intuitive um, thing and um, so in in this uh, last film uh, we've been uh, discussing psychogenealogy which is um, something that Jung came up with and uh, it's this idea of that uh, there's a that we can pass on um, traumas or certain memories get get passed on through generations across generations until they resolved and so I've raised this uh, idea in a talk with my f four generations <laughs> three generations and um, my grandmother suddenly started talking about this story of uh, of drowning in my in the f in her female line and even though i've actually heard the story before it almost became a kind of anecdotal story this by filming it it suddenly gained a different um, weight so suddenly i heard it in a different way and suddenly it made sense that actually there seems to be some sort of what theme going on and uh, and not only negative one but also there's positive connotations to water so of course it, it also had this sense of purification and and uh, cleansing and baptizing and renewal mm -hmm. so and, and the other one of course is to do with the unconscious which is also something I've always been very interested in because of dreams and and the, there is a beautiful scene, in fact there's two in particular in that work where you're actually in, in the water and at that stage um, quite well on in the pregnancy with your, the, the, your, your baby. Um, so do, do you think that in terms of the next generation um, that there has been a sort of a purging or a, or a cleansing of that, that cycle of um, trauma? Absolutely. It felt, uh, it felt so significant that all of this was happening 
exactly at that point in my life as I was uh, pregnant, eight months pregnant, with my baby girl again, and um, and I was surrounded by my family. I had another filmmaker who, who was helping me film it, and um, and it it had a really um, liberating sense of, of working through something and actually it was very so even though there was this dark story that my grandmother shared it actually was something very positive altogether it felt by sharing it somehow and working through it mm-hmm. <laughs> Another theme in, in, in that work is about, in, in, in previous generations, members of the family wouldn't kiss or, or hold their children because it was considered to be unhygienic. And the work ends with, again, sort of four generations um, of your family physically washing each other, and the, 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 there's, a, there's a sense of ritual and playfulness in there as well. So that was something, again, that I've become conscious of over time because of my interest in tactility and touch, is that actually there's not so much touch on my mother's side of the family. So I've become become interested in uh, why, and I've asked my grandmother, and there's definitely been this um, sense that some of it is to do with um, with the fear of uh, passing on of contamination because of this thing that happened to my grandmother's mother's first baby who died and this, so then my my great grandmother was um, scared to kiss and touch her children and then it actually got passed on through my grandmother and even my mother it's, it's it, they're not so uh, tactile so so therefore in my films i've actually thought it's Im- i have to bring it in somehow because that's obviously one of the uh, repressed <laughs> elements that somehow maybe it's touch and also because it's somehow it's a, it's a non-verbal communication and it can release things unconsciously so i thought it would be interesting to use it in the films and uh, so I, di- I, I thought well let's um, and because there's so much water that we're talking about and it, uh, it's very hot summer as well why don't we use water as a as a as the medium of touch and so we, j- we use water uh, splashing water at each other and uh, for a while it felt a bit silly as well because I thought maybe it will just come across as splashing water at each other <laughs> but actually it did it did release it did uh, break through some of these um, constraints and it kind of it it released uh, energy and and uh, i suppose also intimacy it, cre- mm. it it helped the intimacy between us in a very natural way it didn't feel it didn't feel artificial very quickly it was very natural mm-hmm. As you mentioned now, you've got your your baby girl and it is an ongoing project. So is it something that you're going to keep revisiting uh, annually and we can, you know, see how this work develops? Um, Absolutely. I see this as a, well, lifelong project because this is going to transform as, as we all develop, as things change. And of course, I even 
thought often about what happens when my grandmother is not here because I don't see that that will necessarily well it will definitely not end the project because there's a legacy and somehow uh, time allows me to see things from different perspectives so it's almost like a yeah a kind of journey into time and I've got absolutely no idea how it will feel in five years ten years but I do know that I'm going to keep working on it into the moth light into the moth light if somebody told me that I will live in Trieste on that time I should tell him you're a liar because it's not it's not it's not impossible no but you don't know you never know when where the life can bring you. A lot of people ask me, how many times do you need to, to travel? I told, I, I, uh, my answer is from home to home. It's only six hours. So I feel it Teresa's 2016 film Trieste is an impressionistic documentary about the Italian city, which was inspired by a conversation with John Berger. Trieste is a city with a unique history of fluctuating fortunes. It's positioned on a crossroads of different cultures and political states. The film's narrative is weaved from fragments of interviews, readings and observations, and is a collaboration with writer Deborah Levy. I asked Teresa what was the conversation with John Berger and how did it inform the work? So that was a conversation which happened I think in 2006 and we were um, on a train from Geneva uh, to Milan and with, with John Berger going to a festival, accompanying him to a festival and, and I think as we were passing through the landscape and he was telling all these stories about like, oh that's where Charlie Chaplin lived and that's where I, he had dinner with Charlie Chaplin and then somehow I think it was about Europe, passing through Europe and and Trieste came up uh, and I think it came up because his father escaped through it during the war mm-hmm. um, and somehow the, it was the name of the city that there was something quite romantic for me and it just stayed with me. So I can't remember much more about the conversation, but somehow I had a, suddenly I had a visual idea and a kind of atmosphere in my head. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it stayed with me throughout the years. And I kept thinking, I've got to go back at some point. I've got to go back to, uh, not back, I have to go to Trieste to see. And, uh, and it's only later on when I, I started to think, who can I take with me? It has to be someone who understands why I'm, I'm haunted by Trieste, even though I've never been. And, and then actually it, bec- it became um, this writer, Deborah Levy, 
who I've emailed, uh, and she used to be my supervisor. And I said to her, do you want to come to Trieste? It's a crazy idea. But she said, yes. And she shared the same haunting. So we had, And she said to me, why don't we make a film about Trieste? So that's how the film came about. Being haunted by a place, it's an interesting word because obviously within that work, um, there are really personal stories and it's very abstract and, and also presented in quite high contrast black and white. Did the haunting kind of inform the way you shot over there and, and edited the final work? Yes, I mean, it was a very interesting experience and actually it was very, very powerful. I have one of the most powerful moments in Trieste because I've, I've, I went first Two times I think I went with Deborah and then one time I went by myself and I went there very much without any preconception. So I just mm-hmm. wanted to go and be very... F- I, I did read a book by John Morris about Trieste which was perfect but otherwise I didn't really do that much research because I wanted to come to the city quite fresh and open and just see what, what I... Uh, meet what stories I might find and yeah. it really worked and I think it was the, the coming to it so open the stories just came and people came and and I've um, so I've met um, a Jewish professor of I think he's a neuroscientist um, and and he took me to the Jewish cemetery and told me this whole Jewish story but it was very much about my meeting of him and my my um, experience of of being told this i didn't try to make an objective some uh, like journalistic mm-hmm. type of documentary mm-hmm. it was very very much a subjective experience and then again a story of um, mina who is a serbian waitress in one of the hotels i was staying and and she came from serbia after the war and um, so it was a very different story, but it's uh, what struck me in Trieste was this again this idea of displacement and a kind of e- story of Europe in some sense and belonging and and what it means to belong to a place and what is home and in some way there was a point when Deborah said to me, "Why are you making this film about Trieste?" And I I, I was thinking and then she she answered for me. She said. Uh, I think he's making a film about Trieste because he can't make a film about Prague because I'm from Prague. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's actually something very truthful because that's the, the, there's something about Trieste that actually also is in Prague. There's some kind of connection because they both used to be part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And... Uh, so actually, again, the film was about Trieste, but it was also very autobiographical. Mm-hmm. This this might be way off the mark, but my, my introduction to, to John Berger was through the film that he wrote the screenplay of and um, starred in with Timothy Neat, Play Me Something. So again, set in Scotland, but also Italy, and the, the, a film which is a lot about memory and storytelling as well. Was that a film that you were aware of, and am I just been lazy in my comparisons? Maybe. No, no. It's it's definitely. I've se- yeah, I've seen the film, 
Um, I don't remember it in detail, but I definitely remember the atmosphere, and I think it would. It definitely is part of that same atmosphere of this uh, European and storytelling, and uh, and obviously, yeah, traveling with with John Berger, who is such an amazing storyteller, and, and I just remember him also. I've got photos still uh, from that journey of him opening a bottle of champagne on the train <laughs> and uh, us having a drink, and it was just so much fun uh-huh. traveling with him. He was such good company. We talked about water and and how that plays an important part in your work. And obviously, the, uh, there was a lot in Trieste. And you've, you mentioned the the work that you've been recently uh, completing at Ophelia's Last Supper. To quote from from the website, if that's okay. So, transformation of the act of eating into a kind of internal journey, where the fluid boundaries between our interior and exterior worlds, which our senses mediate between become dissolved. So that's quite a hefty ambition. Un- unpack that one a little for me. Yeah, so that's something I've been, it, it emerged actually through um, just being drawn to certain way of working. So I've, I've obviously been always interested in um, nature and in traveling and landscape. So I've, I've been to Iceland and I've been always interested in the elemental landscape um, and the rocks but then also I've become very interested in uh, in food and that came about through being interested in uh, multisensory perception so thinking about all the senses and how to bring all the senses into into moving image and uh, and obviously food is such a multisensory uh, thing mm-hmm. that uh, that and I, then I started working with chefs and, and basically this idea emerged which was like a way of merging these two interests in of, of this traveling across landscape and then uh, eating and, and actually a kind of internalized the journey. So the idea of that you could actually eat a landscape and that eating is a way of um, internalizing experience mm-hmm. Uh, that and and also because there's a big part of that requires imagination. So I'm not talking about um, always everything being completely literal. It's mm-hmm. also a journey of imagination. Mm-hmm. And I think I've always been going back to childhood and this idea of of um, playing at things and pretending. Where uh, the the pretense the game is more real than reality. So this idea of, uh, like in one of the films here, that I'm doing the, the laundering of leaves, which is a memory I've got of being a like, three-year-old child, pretending to be doing a laundry, where actually when you grow up and you do laundry, it never has the same intensity. <laughs> so I've been somehow, it's about recapturing this intensity of childhood experience, um, which somehow imagination is big part of so uh, yeah I don't know if I explained it well it's quite a complicated uh, (laughs) idea but basically I've I've always been drawn to this idea of of having a meal as a kind of journey and uh, in the description of the work you talk about the futuristic cookbook and also inspired by the painting of of the same name so what what was it about the the cookbook that, that inspired this work 
So the yeah the futuristic uh, cookbook by Marinetti is just this most amazing manifesto to creativity. So it's not really a cookbook. The, mm. the cookbook is just a disguise. It's just disguised as a cookbook, but actually it's a it's almost like um, they almost like little scripts, film scripts. The, the, so each there's lots of different. Uh, recipes but they're so detailed and they're so multi-sensory it and you might have a dinner that's actually only sounds and so it's just so imaginative and so wonderful that I've decided to write a, my own little version of it and and I've decided to do this soup for Ophelia that's what it was the original mm -hmm. script and uh, and almost like translating the idea of of, of the painting of Mi of Millet's Ophelia, mm -hmm. drowning into into a soup that someone would eat, and mm -hmm. so the idea of you'd drown in the soup, so it's playing with this inside outside, and um, and then I, so I had the script for a while, and then at some point I decided to turn it into a into a film. So that's what I did. And, and I feel that there's a representation of that painting in the, the Water Rituals film that we've seen here today with you in, in, in the lake. Again, does that link up? Yes, so that scene actually came about after the Ophelia film. So the Ophelia film happened in spring and then this was shot in the summer. And and that again, actually, that's a, yeah, that's an interesting point because I've realised that... Um, that of course all the films are all part of the same fabric mm. in some sense. Mm -hmm. So they might be like one might be about Iceland, one might be about Ophelia, then there's the four generations, but actually there's a kind of thread or like a stream flowing through through all of them that somehow they link up and they inform each other. Yeah. And and that's for me is very exciting because I feel like I'm it's building up to something that I might not yet understand. But I'm almost uh, working it out through the making of mm. it. So mm -hmm. I'm not quite sure where I'm heading, and that's part of the excitement. Yes, yeah, definitely. Let's talk about Jan Schwankmeyer, because I know that you started an animation and I've had the, the, the privilege of seeing some of his work projected recently, including his new work, Insects. So what does his work mean to you and go back to your early days and working with animation? Yes, so yeah, Jan Schwankmeyer is one of my big, big heroes and I'm also very lucky to know him personally. So that's been a really important dialogue. But basically the idea started um, when I just before I started my PhD, and that PhD was actually inspired by Schwankmeyer's interest in tactility, because he was, um, I think, in the 70s or 80s, he was banned from filmmaking by the communist regime, and for seven years he couldn't make films, and instead he focused on tact tactility. So he was making sculptures and really exploring tactility. And then he fed that into his work. And you can really see it and feel it in his films, um, especially like Conspirators of Pleasure, where it's so tactile. So that really excited me. 
It must be nice to get to know someone whose work you admire so greatly. How did that um, relationship come about and what's it like as an individual? Uh, yeah, so I've basically met him originally through uh, Royal College of Art, where I was uh, studying at the time, and he was going to become, he was going to be the prof- like visiting professor, but then he didn't accept it because he wanted to, he doesn't like to do many things, he's quite private and he wanted to just focus on his work, but because he doesn't really speak English, and I was the Czech speaker, so mm-hmm. I had this advantage, and then I met him another time when he came to London to, pr- to show Lunacies. And that's where I already became interested in tactility. And so I came to him partly because I was speaking Czech and not many people could, and partly because I already had a real interest. And, and I think so. he's very direct and he doesn't take any nonsense, basically. Mm-hmm. So to say to him, you are a serialist. He, it's a very different concept to what he believes a serialist is. So he's quite like he says he's a militant serialist. And but because I've I've read so much of his writing and I've followed his work so much, I think he he realized that I'm actually quite serious. That I'm not one of those fans. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So basically, at that point, I, and I knew that he's got this castle in uh, mountains in Czech and so I basically asked him if I could come and visit him and he gave me his uh, email and number and and basically I went to visit him in the summer and then since then I've been visiting him now almost every summer Mm -hmm. and um, he's got this incredible cabinet of curiosities that he's building and uh, this amazing collection and then um, obviously we, we we talk and it's for me it's it's wonderful to have access to to someone who i think is a genius mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so and i can and i interviewed him for my phd about tactility so it's it's a it's just a unique um, access i can have so i'm very honored so obviously you've, you've proven yourself as somebody who understands his work and studied it and does that make him uh, easier to kind of relate to uh, in terms of how he might mentor you? Well, I think that relationship, it's still very scary for me, the idea of uh, <laughs> actually having him as a mentor because I think so far that it's been mu- much more about me coming to him and learning from him or asking mm-hmm. him questions. I had a screening of my films in uh, Prague last year and uh, I invited him and he was actually going to come. He couldn't come because he was finishing his uh, insects film. Mm. But he did write me a very nice email saying he really really tried to come, which in some way I was so happy that he actually really was going to come. But I think also I would have been terrified. (laughs) The idea of having Schwankmeier in the audience. And you, you said last night in the Q&A that um, you don't have the patience for doing animation now, so do, do you think that is something that you will return to at some point when, when you find the right project, perhaps? Um, yes, definitely. I've, um, yeah, I'm someone who is quite quick and impatient, so animation's not been the best in that sense, but I, on the other hand, it's just got this incredible potential that... 
live action doesn't. So I'd definitely want to come back to it at some point. And actually, maybe in this new project that I'm starting or already started, uh, which Ophelia was part of, which is about female embodiment. Um, and again, this idea of inside, outside and working together with a, with a um, sculptor or she's a ceramics, uh, not, not ceramics, she's a, I suppose, fine artist make, who makes objects, mm-hmm. uh, that actually some of these objects could be really nice animated coming to life. So, yeah, I think definitely coming back to animation. Well, thank you very much for for sharing your work and um, thanks very much for for your time today. It's been a a pleasure to talk to you. Well, thank you very much as well. It's been a real pleasure and privilege. Thank you. Into the Mothlight is a Charles S. Bravo production. You can follow us on Twitter at the Mothlight Pod. Email your questions and comments to mothlightpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook at Mothlight Podcast. Like us, rate and review us wherever you find your podcasts. This podcast isn't sponsored by anyone. Perhaps you can do something about that. Until next time, goodbye.